everyone, and welcome to this Institute for Government event uh, here in Nottingham. I'm delighted to welcome an excellent audience here in person and online. Um, we are very pleased to be launching uh, the report today that you, uh, everyone in the room at least, has uh, on their uh, seats, The Art of uh, the Devolution Deal. Um, and this is a report that we're very pleased to have been uh, partnering on with the University of Nottingham's Institute of Policy and Engagement uh, with Sarah and with Stephen Meek, uh, who's here in the front row. Um, my name's Hannah White. I'm director of the IFG, and I'm very pleased to, uh, that you've all joined us here today for the launch. Um, we will be tweeting, uh, live tweeting. We're still sticking with Twitter um, for the time being, at least, uh, during the event uh, from the uh, handle IFG events and using the hashtag IFG devolution. So please do follow and tweet along. And if you're online, you can send in your questions to the panel using Slido. Um, so I'm going to uh, just play a very much a coordinating role today. Uh, very look much looking forward to hearing from our excellent panel. Uh, but we are going to kick off uh, with an introduction from Dr. Jane Norman, who is Provost and Deputy Vice-Chancellor of the University of Nottingham. Thank Jane. you very much. So it's my real pleasure and, and privilege to be able to support this event on behalf of the University of Nottingham in partnership with the University, the Institute for Government, and to welcome you all to this event today. So the University of Nottingham's got a really strong interest in devolution deals generally, and of course in the East Midlands uh, deal, the prospective East Midlands deal in particular. Our interest is not just academic, although it is a fascinating uh, topic for uh, political and economic uh, discovery. It's much more than that. And I think there are three reasons we're really uh, interested in this. Firstly, we really pride ourselves on being a source of insight and expertise on which to those people thinking about devolution can draw uh, some thoughts, both in the East Midlands and generally throughout the UK. And Professor Sarah Hall, from whom you'll hear shortly, is just one of a range of researchers looking at relevant economic, social and cultural questions. Secondly, as a university, we really, again, pride ourselves on being a key player in the economic success of the region. Alongside our partner universities, Nottingham Trent University and Derby University, we're a major employer. We produce skilled people to support local businesses, schools, hospitals, and other employers. We collaborate with businesses to help them grow and innovate. And we play a key role in attracting strategic investments from national and international sources. And finally, of course, all of us in the region have a real stake as citizens, so that all of us who live here have an interest in seeing our region and our communities thrive. And for us, this deal is potentially personal. So I'm delighted to be able to support this uh, fascinating report on behalf of the university and really look forward to hearing from our great panel of speakers. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jane. <clears throat> And I'm going to hand over to my colleague Akash Pound, who's going to tell you a little bit about the report. Okay, well, thank you, Hannah. Um, I'm delighted as well to be here in Nottingham to launch our report on the art of the devolution deal. And uh, just wanted to reiterate my thanks to the University of Nottingham for its support of the project. Um, also want to pay credit to my two co-authors who are at the back of the room, uh, Peter Horston and Duncan Henderson for their contribution to the project and the report. Um, so our purpose in producing this report, in, in, in conducting the research that led to it, has been to set out 
constructive, evidence-based guidance, recommendations for how local leaders and places all across England can make a success of devolution. We at the Institute for Government have long been supportive of the principle of devolution. We think England is too centralised and that that leads to poor quality uh, policy and decision making on the ground in many cases. And so we've welcomed the fact that the government has committed to extending devolution to the 50% of England that have been currently left out of the process, um, including, of course, to the East Midlands, where um, all being well, there'll be the election of a mayor for the East Midlands and the formation of a new combined authority um, next May. Um, we've also welcomed the trend towards deepening the powers of existing combined authorities, including through the, the trailblazer devolution deals announced for Greater Manchester and the West Midlands earlier this year, which will grant local leaders there, the mayors there, far greater flexibility and certainty over their budgets and the ability to, to join up um, different elements of, of economic policy and, and investment decisions um, in a much more strategic way than is currently, uh, currently possible. When devolution works, it can be transformational. I think there's, there's plenty of examples of how, even though we are still in the, the early stages of this process in many parts of England, you can already see devolution starting to make a difference. It's enabling Greater Manchester to tackle health inequality, for example, the West Midlands to address its shortage of high-skilled workers, Liverpool City Region to build a more integrated and sustainable transport system, the Tees Valley to encourage the growth of green industry and renewable energy. There's, there's plenty more of examples like that, that that give a sense of, I think, what devolution will um, allow the East Midlands and other places on that path to, to perhaps do in a more um, coordinated and strategic way in future. But devolution has not been a uniform story of of success in all cases at all times. Some devolution deals have collapsed after being signed. Uh, most recently that happened in, in Cornwall, uh, where we wait to see whether uh, some form of devolution deal gets implemented. The one that was agreed last year was then rejected locally. Others have been implemented despite clearly uh, a weak level of, of local commitment to the deal. And that has sometimes led to institutional dysfunction and, and ongoing conflict that then has taken intervention of, of various kinds, including from central government, to try and uh, get things back on the right track. And in other areas, devolution has been delayed by, in some cases, many years or, or, or still to this day, by disputes over what's the appropriate geography for the deal and also disputes over the appropriate governance model. And so this realization that we have this variable picture, if you like, was what really led us to produce this report in, in which we, what we've tried to do is to identify why devolution has worked so well in some places, but has struggled or just failed to, to actually take root um, in, in other places. And what we highlight is that there is a science of devolution, if you like. There are systems, processes, institutional capacity that have to be put in place. Those are the, those are the core building blocks of effective devolution arrangements. 
But there's also an art of the devolution deal. And those are the intangible but ultimately crucial success factors such as the quality of leadership, the strength of relationships among local leaders and wider stakeholders, and the clarity of vision, that sense of shared purpose about what devolution is actually for and, and how it will enable a region to improve its social and economic outcomes. And in that light, uh, our report, and yes, you have summaries of the report, those in the room, just to be clear, the entire report is a lot longer than that, um, but we've saved paper. So please do take a look at the, <laughs> yeah, please do take at the full report. It's on our website, of course. Um, it contains a, a wide range of, of recommendations and advice, hopefully practical tips for what to do and for what to avoid um, at each point of the life cycle of a devolution deal. And the East Midlands is, of course, at the early phase of that process. But we hope this will be useful for people trying to make a success of devolution all across England. Um, rather than me talking it through in any more detail than that, we're now going to play a short video which will summarise some of the core themes. Over the past decade, Devolution deals have transferred power over transport, skills, housing and more from Whitehall to nine mayoral combined authorities across England. This process is continuing and by May 2024 over half the English population will be covered by a devolution deal for the first time. The Institute for Government welcomes this trend. However, devolution is not a silver bullet. If a deal is flawed, lacks sufficient local support or is poorly implemented, then the effectiveness of the devolved institutions will suffer. In a new report, published in partnership with the University of Nottingham's Institute for Policy and Engagement, we explain how cities and counties across England can make a success of devolution. A devolution deal has four stages, conception, negotiation, implementation and operation. There are parts of England currently at each of these points. Phase one, sees local leaders come together to develop a shared vision of how devolution will work and what value it will add to their region. In phase two, if government is convinced by that vision, local leaders enter into negotiations with Whitehall over the terms of a deal. Successful negotiations end with the signing of a deal by ministers and council leaders, but this milestone is not the end of the journey. Phase three involves the implementation of the deal and this isn't straightforward. Several deals have fallen during this phase due to local political opposition and legal challenges. If a deal makes it to this point, then phase four involves the establishment of a combined authority led by a mayor to take on the devolved powers from Whitehall. Successful mayoral combined authorities will often then return to the table to negotiate a follow-up deeper devolution deal and the cycle begins again. So that, I hope, provides a, a little flavour of, of what's in the report. Um, that's all for me. I now really look forward to hearing what our uh, panel, which includes two potential future mayors, or at least two. I don't know if Sarah has any <laughs> hidden political ambitions. Um, so yeah, Ben, Richard, Sarah, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. And uh, I look forward to your thoughts. Thank you.
Thank you very much, Akash. So we're now going to give our, our panellists an opportunity to, to react to the report. And I think we're going to kick off with Ben, who, of course, you all know is MP for Mansfield, leader of Nottinghamshire Council and newly announced uh, candidate for East Midlands Mayor next year. Very busy. Thank Indeed. you. Um, yes, yeah, so it's really exciting. I think the first thing to pick up on here um, is that the report, I think, is a good reflection of the challenges we've been through, the processes we've been through, and I'll pick up perhaps on some of the recommendations and, and that um, a little bit later on. But um, I wanted to reflect on the East Midlands deal in the first instance. Uh, it's fair to say that devolution is not an answer to anything in itself. It is a vehicle by which we can find some of these answers, and we're at the start of a process, really, in, in setting up uh, and creating this combined authority. But um, we're now in the process of that implementation bit of creating the authority, of doing the governance, of building the organisation, which is probably the trickiest bit, mm -hmm. if I'm honest, because as you've described, uh, if you get that bit wrong, it lasts a long time and you've embedded the wrong processes and so we really need to get this right but it has huge potential um, not least I think in the key powers we've started with the same powers that all deals have kind of been built around around transport economic development skills housing and, and that kind of development as well um, and the ability I think to draw together a shared and collective strategy around those things is almost as vital to us in our region as the money is, because historically part of the reason we are the most underfunded region in the country is because we've got 18 different councils with 18 different leaders who all think different things. And when people want to invest in these Midlands, we compete instead of working together and having shared priorities. We're also not very good at selling our vision to government because we've got 18 different ones instead of um, a clear voice as they have in the West Midlands or Greater Manchester, for example. So huge potential in this. Uh, and also, obviously, additionally, in the funding, when I talk about us being the most <coughs> underfunded region, I think Greater Manchester is um, better off to the tune of some £6 billion of public and private investment since um, they first created the command authority in the mayoral role. Uh, we will take that, thank you. And we'll take some more uh, as well as we go forward into the future. But it is built about, around particularly job skills and infrastructure. And the way I've described this um, that I think is most tangible is to use the example of Step Fusion, which is a £20 billion investment in the north of Nottinghamshire in clean energy, fusion energy technology. Um, and taking that public sector investment, the ability to wrap around that, um, the commercial investment in that, the businesses who want to come and be part of that to create amazing jobs that aren't currently available, to wrap the skills provision around that with partners like University of Nottingham, uh, Nottingham Trent and our colleges to make sure that local people can access those jobs. And then the transport infrastructure, so you can get from Mansfield where I am and you can get to those jobs and it all links together in a coherent and affordable way. I think that's life changing. So actually, if we can get it right, um, the potential there really is huge. The deal was very difficult, <laughs> I have to say, not least because we had three different prime ministers over the course of the time when we were trying to negotiate it. It wasn't entirely straightforward, but we got it done. Uh, and we've also added in a phase B, which is where we get to go back to the table, as you described at the end there, and talk about the next bits, build a bit of trust, build a bit of delivery and, and show some outcomes, and then talk <coughs> about what else we can achieve. I particularly want to get into public sector reform and services um, and work with our council colleagues. Um, but we have now got to do arguably the most difficult bit which is to work with 18 partners, plus universities, plus business, um, to integrate a local enterprise partnership, to build a structure that is coherent and can deliver these things. And that balance between um, wanting accountability and proper process, and also wanting to be able to actually decide and do things and not get bogged down in process uh, at the same time. So a particular challenge. I think in terms of the report, some of the reflections in here and some of the recommendations are really uh, right, particularly around resource and capacity. What we found as councils, having your chief executive dragged off um, as another part-time job to go and build a devolution deal is quite challenging when it comes to resource and building the thing um, and equally finding the right skills. We've got nobody really in this region who has done this before. 
um, which is a real challenge for us. And as we now look to recruit people, that will be one of the key things that we want to bring in. I'll touch perhaps more on some of the recommendations in this a little bit later uh, if we draw to a close. Um, the other one I just wanted to pick up on is the national challenge. And it reflects on ours as well as on everybody else's. First, the levelling up bill hasn't passed yet and no government legislation is passed until it's passed. Um, as we have seen many times, that needs to be delivered because otherwise our deal can't happen, but others uh, in complicated geographies like ours that rely on that bill won't be able to happen either, and that's really, really important. We've had that commitment. And also, the report talks about trailblazers and Birmingham and Manchester continuing to accelerate, which I think is a good thing. Um, we are the least funded. We need to accelerate faster and catch up. We can't just see those areas that already have the most tools at their disposal accelerate further ahead. And I think those things are really important as well. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Ben. Richard, uh, Richard Parker, who is the Labour candidate for West Midlands Mayor. I invite you to okay. Thank react. you, Hannah. And um, in a previous life, when I was a partner at PwC, for those who don't know me, I worked an advisor to the Combined Authority and helped put the West Midlands Combined Authority together. Um, in terms of the report, I think, I think it's, a, it's a great document and much needed. It's, um, I think, a comprehensive um, explanation of process um, and there's some really good learning points in there. And I think it's a very helpful critique and it's full of learning uh, and insights. And I think what it, does, what it does that very few reports have done in the past is recognise that there's both administrative and political complexity to this process. And in the past, I think most reports are focused on one or the other, but knitting those two together uh, in a way that Ben's outlined, I think is really, really important to successful deals. Um, and the process, from my experience, certainly isn't a linear one, and that's recognised in the reports. It really is an iterative process um, and full of shoves, shunts and bumps, based on my experience. And there was a day in the West Midlands, I think, well, at least two days when I traversed the region twice, yep, fixing things that had come apart uh, in meetings um, previous days or evenings. So I think it's a very helpful um, guide for those embarking on uh, a devolution process. Um, one of the key themes coming out of it is the need for those politicians involved to learn skills of compromise, um, working collectively, and collaboratively to move together. And my experience in the West Midlands was that the politics of place actually trumped party politics. And when I put it together, there were six Labour leaders and one Conservative. And actually the Conservative leader was in many ways the most powerful person in the room because if they didn't want to bring it together or work with the others, um, it wouldn't have worked. But you know, democracy does bring challenges with it for all its merits. And one of them was you know, six or seven years later, there's not one of those original leaders around the table. Um, many of the chief execs have moved on, and that's been quite disruptive to the process of um, working together and collaboratively. And um, I think um, some of the problems of progress have been hindered by the, um, the fact that we've had you know, a number of prime ministers in Westminster without any clear thread or, or, or direction of travel until very recently in terms of future devolution deals. Before I run on to some sort of comments about what we need to do next, um, the issue of working collectively and building trust uh, was, I think, over the last 48 hours in the West Midlands, been undermined by the current mayor's plans to bring in unilaterally Warwickshire into the combined authority, which changes everything. I think it's potentially undemocratic. It certainly undermines the purpose of the existing combined authority. And in its worst position, it could, um, it could bring, and I hope it doesn't, but the combined authority down. Um, 
And you think all the work that goes into putting this thing together, the type of work that, that Ben's doing, and then, yeah, if you have a mayor that, say, unilaterally wants to expand the geography, and that's not just impacting on the politics, but um, place is fundamentally important, and Warwickshire is a very different place than uh, very large parts of the West Midlands. So um, we're in a very challenging moment, I think, currently in the West Midlands. Um, for all the progress made, um, it's really important that events over the last 48 hours or so don't disrupt uh, future progress. But in terms of some key points, um, reflecting on the report in my experience, sort of three M's really. The first one is, I think we need to do a lot more to make the role of the mayor meaningful. I think it's misunderstood by many people based on, um, and that's why I don't think there's enough clarity on the role and there's lots of, indeed I think there's ambiguity. We put mayors on a pedestal um, in terms of their roles, but in reality they, they don't have you know, um, they don't have uh, the, the executive leadership uh, positions that you need to make decisions in their own right. So there's a bit of uh, an ambiguity there. And the mayors work with and work collaboratively with you know, a cabinet or a board that need, need to um, jointly make decisions. So I think that, that also can undermine progress in some ways. And it's something if Ben is elected and I'm elected, we'll have to work through. Um, there's also, I would say, in the West Midlands, still a challenge of identity with what the West Midlands is. If you go to any part of the West Midlands, I've done lots of campaigning over the last six to eight months, and you ask people on a doorstep where they come from, they'll say the place, the town, the borough, England, the UK, Great Britain. Yep, it's a long way, long time before you get to them describing themselves as coming from the West Midlands. And that hasn't helped engagement in electoral process where turnout has been uh, really quite low. Um, and one of the things I want to do if I'm elected, I'll be sitting down with the leaders to talk about the value add. For me, the big difference, we need to have a real discussion about what role the mayor performs and how a mayor can add most value. The second, um, the second sort of M for me is around making it manageable. The governance of the combined authority of West Midlands is overwhelming. And um, board documents are often th two to 300 pages long. I sat down and read a set page to page. It took me almost five hours. If you think they're gonna be seven local authority leaders in advance of a board meeting, you're gonna read those, you gotta be joking. Um, worse still, in one case, I, I think I identified only about 11 paragraphs what I thought were important for political decision making. So we've got to make this thing look far less bureaucratic and, and, and more manageable and less cumbersome. And, um, and I think I have a big challenge, Ben will give some thought to this in this place, but we also have leaders with portfolio roles and they have little or no support for those roles. They are busy running their own places, focusing on running their own political groups in those places and giving them region-wide roles, whether it's for skills or housing, I think is, um, is a real challenge for them. And that is also undermining the effectiveness of, of delivery. So, and my third, um, my third issue about making devolution truly matter, the third M, and for me, that, that is about I think we do need to proceed with devolution and be far more ambitious in the way that it works. And Ben's quite right, Manchester and the West Midlands have made more progress than others. Um, but, you know, the devil is in the detail. Those um, trailblazer deals don't come into true effect until after the next general election. And, you know, um, we live in democracy. Um, we may never ever see the, the full benefit of those, depending on who's, who's elected next time. And even on some of the levelling up zones in the West Midlands, um, which are about retaining future business rates, there is a lot of technical work to be done um, to even start that process of working out um, how you define the current level of business rates, how you ensure that 
and the increase is truly additional, yeah, and not, not a substitution. And um, there are big questions about whether or not um, in themselves they will drive economic performance in the West Midlands, um, particularly when, and I'll come back to it, the biggest issue I think we face in our regions is one of skills. There are still a fifth of the workforce in the West Midlands got little or no skills, and, um, and we still have about 23% of the working age population that isn't, um, that, that, uh, that isn't working. And, um, you know, sadly, um, I'm, I'm, if I wasn't doing this, I'd be working with a great EV tech business in West, West Midlands, and they want to recruit about 3,000 people over the next two years, and there aren't more than a handful of people being trained in FE colleges in the West Midlands for the skills that that business needs. And unless we address some of those challenges um, uh, and, I think, create a new pathway for skills funding through regions, um, I think we're going to continue to have many of the problems we have about low productivity uh, for a very long time. And in the West Midlands, productivity levels are still running around 11 to 12% beneath the national average. Thank you very much, Richard. Sarah, Professor Sarah Hall from the University of Nottingham. You're also a senior fellow at UK and a Changing Europe. Thank you for joining us today. Great, thank you. I am a geographer, not about to announce a, a mayoral candidacy. I just need to be clear about that. <laughs> um, but I, what I really appreciated about the report is the way that it covers um, a range of different localities and a range of different devolution deals. And I think that's actually really valuable because quite a lot of work on devolution perhaps takes a deep dive into what's going on in Greater Manchester or looks particularly at the sort of challenges of county deals and doesn't take this kind of um, cross perspective, um, which I, th I thought I really appreciated. Um, but that depth made me really think that a really vital question, um, and I think Ben alluded to this, in that devolution is a vehicle, but what is it a vehicle for? And I think mm -hmm. that's a really critical question. Um, is it for better services, better community identity, growing civic pride, fostering economic growth, developing skills? I think there's an argument that it's probably for all of those, and maybe the balance of, of which one of those dominates is different um, in different places. But I think being clear about what devolution is for and what the aims are is really important. And I think that's really vital um, when we come to think about the geography of devolution. So... I'm an economic geographer. Normally, people ask me about, do I know capital cities? Do I know which river? So to actually be able to engage with a policy debate where geography matters is super exciting. And as other um, panellists have said, geography really does matter, not just in terms of formal boundaries, but also in terms of questions of local and regional identity. And I think certainly I would agree with Ben that in the East Midlands, the question of regional identity, what it means to be an East Midlander, is a really open question. I have an anecdote from when I was reviewing some work for a funding organisation, and they, they said they were going to take the regional question seriously. And I thought, oh, this is brilliant. And then they started talking about Scotland and Wales. And I was like, oh, gosh, there's the, whole, there's the whole sort of track up the M1 and the A1 before you get to Scotland. Like, we need to take a step back here. So I think thinking about how you foster regional identity in a meaningful way and align that with the political institutions that you want to build um, is really, really critical. I think another aspect of that is the relationship between the de um, devolved authorities and Whitehall. And I really appreciated in the report the kind of question of having some sort of um, skills exchange between Whitehall and um, deep devolved authorities. I think I very much agree with question of capacity to deliver. Um, and for me, this is also linked to um, the importance of not patronising regions and the people who live there. 
Um, so I'm doing work at the moment in Teesside and in Mansfield trying to understand the cost, how people are experiencing the cost of living crisis. People have really sophisticated ideas about what's going on in the region. These aren't in some some way kind of left behind places or forgotten places people have real pride in the places that they live in and I think trying to map that onto the kind of institutional and governance structures that are developed are really important so I think there might be a slight tendency from Whitehall to think that you could send people from Deluck to the East Midlands to help teach people how devolution might work I think actually just as important is exchange and flows the other ways and having a, a more general kind of interchange of mm -hmm. ideas so I think that kind of question of potential power asymmetries between London and, and the regions is really important and then I just want to say a little bit about you know of all those things that that devolution could or, or should be for I've kind of played my my geography card I'm going to play my my economic geography card now and suggest that in many ways, if you can foster economic growth, other things start to take care of themselves better. It allows us to spend money on the public services we might want to fund, on transport, on skill development, etc. And the research here is really stark that the productivity, and Peter alluded to this, the, the productivity of UK provincial cities lags significantly behind the productivity of similar cities in other European countries. And I think that's a real challenge that, that needs to be addressed. The latest research suggests that um, sort of what mechanisms you might use to do that. One would be around transport and one would be around skills. So I was really pleased that they came through strongly in the report and they were mentioned by, by other panellists. But just to give you an example of the scale of the challenge, figures for the last financial year suggested that funding per head of transport in London was over £1,000. In the East Midlands, it was less than £400 and, and was actually one of the lowest um, in the UK. So I think thinking about you know, what you might use these deals for, what sort of vehicle they might be for, one would be really prioritising transport. And I think the other would be around skills. And here I think we need to have quite a nuanced discussion about what sort of skills for what sort of jobs. And the evidence as a researcher would suggest that thinking particularly about STEM skills, be that graduate or higher order kind of college STEM skills, might be where you get the biggest um, bang for your buck, so to speak. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sarah. <clears throat> I feel compelled to also declare that I have no uh, political ambitions, <laughs> but I am a geographer too. <laughs> um, and, and to say, I totally agree with the, the point you were making about the sort of um, the way in which we approach learning and thinking about these issues. We, we, at the IFG, we're very keen that we're learning from both sides, that we feel that actually, you know, our, um, a lot of our work at the IFG focuses on central government and Whitehall and understanding how departments there work, but actually, the work that Akash does um, on, on these deals is very much about learning from the people uh, like Dan and Richard who are actually doing this stuff day to day and, and understanding that and sort of trying to knit those things together. Um, I've got lots of questions coming through on Friday now that I have my iPad. Thank you very much to the team for that. Um, and we will also take questions uh, from the room. We'll have a raving mic. Um, and uh, please let us know who you are and where you're from when you ask your question. Um, I had some questions, but actually the ones that are coming in are so good that I'm going to start with them. Um, so there are, there are two which are, are linked, really, and um, I, I guess primarily uh, are for Richard and Ben, um, both anonymous. Um, but the first is, 
what should areas without devolution yet do to prepare for new powers? So based on your experience of, mm -hmm. of where your, your um, authorities have got to, uh, what would you advise people in that, in that context to be doing? And um, linked, uh, another anonymous question, given the problems faced in Cambridgeshire and Peterborough's combined authority, what are or, sh or should the processes be to amend devolution agreements where existing structures prove unworkable? Akash might also have some thoughts on that one. But should we start with those two? Richard, do you want to kick off? Yeah, I mean, it's very, it's very interesting. Um, when I uh, worked on putting the combined authority together, I also got... Um, I actually did come across the East Midlands at least once or twice then, um, talking to the chief exec and some of the leaders in this city um, who I think failed in their first attempt to, to, to put something together. And, um, and we talked a lot about process and, um, and truly in the West Midlands, um, I hope this isn't a contradiction in terms because it was led by the leaders of councils, but we really did seek to put the West Midlands Combined Authority together by working bottom up. It might have been with the leaders, but we got the leaders around a table and we talked to them and we tried to work out not the issues that they didn't agree on, but the ones that they did agree on. So we tried to build some consensus and understanding. And also, my role was not only to listen to those leaders about their concerns um, and what they were saying, um, but to... Well, also when they were critical of this process and didn't know quite what it meant, but we also um, was keen to know why they said what they said, what were their vulnerabilities, what were their, what were their concerns. So it was very, um, there was a lot of hand-holding. I remember a, a, a partner at PwC, I met one evening, said, I don't know how you got the patience for this. And I did say it's not about patience, it's about a sense of purpose. And that was really the key thing um, to get this going. And also... It was, uh, when we, we put it together, it was just before the 2015 general election. At that time, we couldn't agree, get agreement on um, what we should call it, and we couldn't, um, we couldn't get an agreement on the mayor. But we waited two or three weeks until the general election, and once we got the results of that, all the leaders decided that you know, we needed to work with the next government and wanted to, to move forward. So there is a need for some agility, but I would recommend that it really does have to feel for the leaders that they're empowered in moving this thing forward um, and not imposed on them. And it certainly doesn't work, and the examples are in the report, where somehow uh, there's a government initiative and the leaders in the region believe the best thing they can do is to respond to it. That, that is a recipe for, for, for failure. So those, those would be um, uh, my, um, my thinking. There are challenges beyond the urban areas, and there will be some challenges here, because... Once you get into large county geographies, my experience is, is that um, many of those boroughs and districts look in a different direction to the heart of the county. Or the, um, and certainly, I mean, I did some work in Hampshire a number of years ago. There are 11 district councils there. Um, very few look inwards towards in Winchester. Some are new towns. Some are suffering um, sort of post-industrial blight. Um, some are very happy with life as it is like um, uh, in more rural bits of Hampshire. So this issue about identity and not forcing it on people or places is really, really important. It doesn't need, it doesn't mean some encouragement, but um, if, it, if it doesn't, you know, if it, if it from the outside or from the inside, it doesn't like it's, it's going to fit, um, generally my view is devolution won't work. And my final comment with this, there is under the current construct, um, I think a recognition that there are lots of places where it won't work. 
I think that's right. You have to, to really want to do it. Um, and the first thing prior to the levelling up white paper that we as four county and city leaders around these Midlands did um, in, in the kind of build up to that and the expectation of what that would look like was to say, you know, what outcomes do we think we can get for this to test that? Are there things that are likely to come forward in this? Do we agree on them broadly? What it is we're trying to do? And then we waited to see what the, the structures would look like. Obviously, government came up with this kind of three-tiered system. And we ummed and ahed. We talked about county deals, Nottinghamshire and a Derbyshire deal, yeah. what that would mean. And in the construct that came out, it turned out that we weren't going to be able to deliver the outcomes that we really wanted with the powers or funds that came at that level. And so we were going to have to talk level three and combined authority and a mayor. Um, but because we'd agreed on outcomes, what is it we're doing this for and having this conversation for, that was quite an easy mm. um, conversation, actually. Um, and having done that and brought people together, um, embarked on it kind of in earnest. There were two ways of approaching that, right? One was to say, as we did, right, we now see what we're going to have to do in order to achieve these outcomes. We'll go and work with government to do it. The other was to go back and say, well, I don't like what those structures look like. I want to go and argue with government about whether we can have something else or slightly different. Mm. Um, and those places haven't got um, the ability mm. to They've not been able to take it forward. So I think there's a lesson in that. Um, definitely need to prepare and have conversations about resourcing. Um, where are you going to find staff time for this? Where are you going to find the funding? Because although we're now getting into a space where government's helping us with capacity funding and the build-up to um, the final kind of creation of this authority in the election, we haven't been. We've been working under our own steam for a year and we've had to fund that. And through good relationships, our districts and boroughs have engaged in funding that, even though they're not formally partners in it because we've built good relationships. So that relationships point, I think, is absolutely key. If you can't have a good, proper, open debate with partners who are going to be part of this, you need to do some work before you embark on it. Um, and our relationships historically around the region have been terrible. So it has been two years of really hard work to try and bring people together, actually, um, into that space. But we've done that cross-party. And then I think you've just got to go big and bold. When we saw that, we as a region, those leaders involved said, you know what? We're going to do it then. We're going to be first. We're going to kind of lead the way on it. And we're going to go and tell government we're going to be first. Mm. Um, and we kind of stamped our feet a little bit. Um, and, you know, we are going to be first under this new construct. I think um, just the determination to do that. On the point about amendments, um, yeah. Cambridge Repeat is a good example of, of, you know, a structure, a system that maybe didn't quite function as it should in the beginning. I think they're starting to resolve that now. It's taken time and energy and resource to do that. But that's why I think it's so important for us that we build something in the first instance that is functional and that we have the time and not wait for the bill actually but get on with it mm. have the time to practice and to shadow these arrangements and to make sure that they work in advance so i think people getting into this space need to leave themselves that that time to do that um, the flexibility afterwards i can only imagine because we're not there yet <laughs> but same challenge i would have thought in that if you can agree what it is you want to change it's fairly straightforward right so um, it's where as you described people don't agree um, that it becomes more difficult, more politically difficult. So um, therein is the challenge, right? It's all about being able to work together and, and compromise. And given it's so much about agreement in the sort of run-up to, to getting the deal and so on, what do you think about this development about um, uh, the mayor being able to, once the combined authority is established, unilaterally bring in other geographies? Mm -hmm. Um, so it's an interesting one. I think for us in East Midlands, it's a really interesting one because we always had this conversation with Leicestershire yeah. being part of it. Logically, economically, Leicestershire should be part of it. Politically, it didn't work. Um, I alluded to councils who might have taken a less accepting approach of the framework earlier on. There you go. Um, and that's, that's partly why. So by the time Leicestershire kind of came to the table and said, we want to be in this, we'd already done the deal. Um, we'd kind of said, well, look, we want these outcomes. We're not going to wait for, for others who are having other conversations in the future. I think we'd all... There, I think, if you ask leaders around our region 
should Leicestershire be in this in the future? I think we'd all agree, probably, that they should, um, without much fail. And certainly leaders in Leicestershire now want to be in it. It's kind of stuck in the process and, and it's too late now. Um, so in that case, I think that's probably likely in the future, unless they politically choose to go and do their own thing. Mm. But in that case, I think we would probably <coughs> have some consensus around that yeah. because you look mm. at the, the, yeah. both the sense of place, what is the East Midlands, mm. Mm. Um, but also the, the economic sense of that stacks up. I don't know the West Midlands well enough to, to comment. No, just a couple of points. Um, I didn't comment on the, um, on the changes and the flexibility. That I, I think there is a danger if, you know, if we create institutions with the combined authorities or otherwise that are, you know, basically they're based on statute or creatures of statute they unless you're flexible and you make changes over time they become obsolete and so we do need to revisit them for their relevance going forward and you know one of the first things I will plan to do is have a governance review and look at the way it works so it works really effectively for all the leaders um, in terms of decision making and and engagement um, on the on the on the issue I mean I, I think it should be this is you know, not a political point but <coughs> They take a lot of work to put these things together, and uh, and you know, the the current draft levelling up bill will allow a mayor to bring in an authority if it wishes to join. I I think it, it should be a, a broader con con consultation exercise because it has you know pr profound uh, profound impacts. I was very pleased that Ben said that, that the way he'd work here if he was a mayor. But um, these are challenges we have to deal with in democracy and, and work through them. Um, but um, you know there is. Um, you know, overall, though, there is a commitment across all of the councils that are currently in the combined authority that it's better to be in it than, 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 than outside of it. Okay. Yeah, thanks. I mean, on that specific point, I think it is a very strange <laughs> and until recently not really noticed uh, reform to the process that the government is bringing in because the whole model of establishing a combined authority is based on the idea that it's through bottom-up agreement. Each council is a veto player in the process. Combined authority is founded on the basis of, of consensus across the, the local areas and in the way that all the speakers have, have been talking about. I think that's crucial to, it, to the success of the model. I mean, that's a theme that really runs through the report is that's when it works, is, is when you've got that strong, broad um, foundation of, 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 of consensus about wanting to work together. So for... Um, an area to be brought in against the wishes of the other members of the combined authority strikes me as as, as likely to undermine mm. the effectiveness of the institutions. I mean, to go back to the to, to the original questions as well. I mean, the, this question of places that don't have a deal yet, or don't, and, and maybe want to set off on that journey. Um, I mean, that's really yeah. To go back to, to to the purpose of the report, that's where hopefully we have set out some useful. Um, recommendations and so on, looking at places like the East Midlands that have just gone through that journey. And I, and I think Ben's really set out the, the key success factors there. I mean, first of all, places have to be realistic and seize an opportunity when it arises from government being open to doing deals. Um, government's appetite for this waxes and wanes, and there's, there's times when there's genuine opening. Um, and places like the East Midlands that have kind of taken that opportunity have, have, have really profited from it. And also being realistic about who's got the, who's got the, the power in the negotiations. So being willing to work within the framework to get a deal is, is I think, quite, quite important. But, of course, yeah, there should be an ambition there. And I, th I think the places where it's really worked out well have 
had that clear long-term vision about where they want as a region to be in five, 10 years, how devolution, even if it starts small, um, can help them to get there with a view that then once the institutions are established, the relationships have been strengthened and uh, then there's an opportunity to come back to the negotiating table in the case of Greater Manchester, five, six, seven times they've, they've come back and, and got more and more power, having proved that they, there is that absolutely clear shared, uh, shared purpose across not only the councils, but wider stakeholders, business and so on. And that, there is that sense of working at the regional scale. It's not just a set of local leaders coming to try and get funding for their own mm. local projects. Great, I think we'll take some questions from the room now. I can see some people who want to, uh, Peter, just in front of you, the gentleman with the, did have glasses on his head, he's just taken them off. Um, thank you. Uh, I'm Rick Hall. I'm a fellow of the RSA and also um, on the steering group of Nottingham Civic Exchange based at Nottingham Trent University. Um, I'm also um, retired from a, an education charity um, that promoted creativity in STEM learning that was brought into the East Midlands in 2007 under an arrangement with EMDA, the previous mm -hmm. regional development agency. I'm, I'm interested in the comment in your conclusions to the report that devolution is not a linear process, um, but it, it goes deep, that it goes deeper. Um, that, and I'm, I want to know, I think, a little bit more about the tensions between uh, this notion of deeper devolution, which I would perhaps refer to as subsidiarity. I don't know if anybody still uses that term. Um, and the need to, uh, to forge and create a sort of regional brand identity. And I, I'd be interested to know what your thoughts are around the cultural dimension of that. Because it seems to me it's very clear that Manchester and Liverpool can build on a cultural dimension. Mm -hmm. um, it'll be much harder, I think, for the East Midlands to, to develop that kind of cultural identity as well as the economic factors that you've already mentioned. Great. We'll take another couple of questions uh, as well. There's a gentleman here in a blue shirt. We'll go down this side of the room first. Thanks. Hello. I'm Jack Richardson, a freelance journalist. I'm just uh, talk we're talking about the various uh, powers of the mayor, so transport and skills, but something I think we're missing here is is, is policing and particularly the East Mid the proposed East Midlands Authority that would straddle two areas in two policing areas in Derbyshire and Nottinghamshire, which obviously both have police and crime commissioners. So how as as um, police and crime commissioners have got a um, something of a checkered record, how would you actually see the evolution of the uh, evolution of devolution in in conjunction with these um, bodies? Thank you. And the gentleman in the front row here, Peter. Uh, Ron Hodges, Emeritus Professor, University of Birmingham. Um, th this process of uh, devolution um, seems to come with um, a, a, a message that Westminster is giving powers away. And uh, whenever I hear that, I become nervous and somewhat suspicious. Um, is it not possible that um, the devolution ultimately leads to central government being able to say, right, will abolish 
district councils. They're not important enough anymore. And who knows, many years in the future, let's abolish city and county councils. We don't need them either. Because what we've got now is a small number of very large regional authorities, much easier to control than about 350 councils in England. Three great questions there. Sarah, do you want to? Yeah, um, the I think um, the first and the third one point to something that I think is really important to remember in that devolution, as I see it, is in many ways the latest iteration of a long policy of, of sort of regional policy in the UK that in many ways is characterised by constant change and churn. So we've heard kind of development agencies, LEPs, for example, you know, there's a whole series of and vehicles that have been used over time. And I think maybe one sort of challenge for the, the devolution initiative is to demonstrate from the outset that it has longevity whilst also the flexibility mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. that Richard identified. So I think um, we need to be aware of that long history. And in many ways, it's quite a long checkered history. It hasn't been hugely successful. So I think that suggests that, that in the future, devolution needs to have bit more sense of sort of longevity and that's particularly important I think when you come to funding and um, particularly in terms of transport so having a certainty of funding mm. over a longer um, period of time I think that's potentially where the trailblazers become really important. And can I just feed in an online question which very much picks up on what Sarah's just been saying and, and it's appropriate um, for Richard and Ben which is um, the question is, is put to you Richard but I think is equally interesting to hear Ben's answer is is Labour's vision for devolution and levelling up really that different from the Conservative government's approach in the levelling up white paper? So, you know, are we going to see continu continuity regardless of the outcome of the next election? Yeah, yeah. Or is there going to be a shift in position? Okay, so um, obviously there's, you know, the, the Gordon Brown's report on, on, on larger scale devolution to, 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 to regions. That will take some time to, uh, to develop and unfold. But I'd hope... Um, the Labour Party nationally will be far more ambitious than the current government um, in both the scale of resources that um, it wants to devolve and also sort of the intent behind it. So if we look at Labour's um, green prosperity plan, um, albeit some of the big numbers will be put back until the midterm of the next government, um, well, if there's a Labour government, uh, the, the, the plan is or well, the expectation is that that can only be delivered on the ground or will be delivered on the ground most effectively by those resources being devolved to regions, particularly when it is about investing in um, companies to assist them with the transition to um, a zero carbon economy, when it's about investing in research in those companies, when it's about investing in skills so we can help people transition their skills, and when it's about retrofitting homes um, to improve their energy efficiency and to help address the cost of living crisis, the best way, if not the only way, to deliver those programmes is through is through devolved funding. So I am very, very helpful, uh, hopeful about um, a new plan. Um, and there are other initiatives that um, I'm hoping will help us rebuild the economy and have a plan for growth. But if I just want to go back to one of those questions, particularly the first one on, on subsidiarity, my approach to being a mayor will not be to create a new, a new bureaucracy or build on the existing bureaucracy of a combined authority. Apart from the funds I need for statutory services, I want every thousand pounds spent with and through local institutions as quickly as possible, whether that's local authorities, university or FE colleges. We need to get that money out to where it's needed most. And it's not about 
it wouldn't be about me accumulating you know, funds or using you know, own powers and rules and processes to decide how that money is going to, going to, um, going to be spent. On the issue of, I'll pick up on the, the, the local democracy issue, I was at University of Warwick speaking last night, that, that question came up. Um, local government is fabric, it's a bedrock of our democracy. Um, um, I'd hope that what we're seeking to do in terms of recognising that delivering, addressing the big strategic issues we face regionally at scale is best done through collaboration on a larger scale, shouldn't and will never undermine the, the, um, our democracy. And one of the failings, I think, over the last you know, 20, 30 years has been that for most people, politics has got too remote and has lost meaning to them. I don't think you know, people care about them. And I think so we have to, whatever we're doing in terms of scale and, and working at scale, and more regionally, um, I don't think we can afford to um, to compromise on the importance of people believing that um, that there are people locally that best represent their interests. Great. Make sure you answer the policing question. Sure. Yeah, I will do. And it's, uh, we've got a policing crime commissioner in the room who might have a comment <laughs> on it as well. I think um, uh, on the the political point, and and then we'll I'll get that one out of the way. It's the same, isn't it? Let's be honest. And we'll get to a point where um, I think there will be continuity. And that's a good thing, because whatever happens in the next general election, hopefully there is some continuity. Uh, our election campaign here will no doubt be, um, yes, it's all right, devolution is a good thing. But of course, if you had a Labour government and a Labour mayor, it will be so much better. Um, and we'll, we'll argue about that, of course. Um, so I think it's, we're broadly on the same page. But I do think that's a good thing um, in terms of continuity of this agenda. Um, the point about the, the subsidiarity is an interesting one, because we are unique complicated as a region. We've got districts and boroughs, um, counties and cities, unitary authorities, a real mix. Um, and therefore, we're not going to be able to use the full range of powers if we don't engage with districts and boroughs, for example, planning authorities, mm. um, who are going to be able to, in some cases, veto stuff that the mayor might want to do because they're not going to give planning permission for things. Um, so it, those are really complex relationships and will require really good working relationships too. There's also a level of buy-in, right, that if you as a district leader want to veto all the stuff the mayor wants to do, then the mayor's going to put his investment somewhere else, isn't he? So um, there's a level of, of accountability for that as well, but it will be a challenge for us, particularly because of that complex geography, and not least because, as has been discussed, High Peak looks to Manchester more than Derby. Bassett Law looks to Sheffield, in many cases, more than Nottingham. So we've got to make it relevant for people too, and we've got to show the benefit uh, and the investment, particularly on things, I think, about connectivity and transport in some of those places, and links into not just our combined authority area, but other ones. Um, on the local council's point, in the same vein, we've got a very complicated geography. We've had the debate before um, about unitarisation, for example, and we couldn't agree, and so nothing happened. Um, that's often the way, and any decision would have to be a collaborative one. But there is this question of layers. Are you creating another layer? Now, I think the, the skills exchange point is really interesting on that, because rather than create a new set of staffing and structures, can we not genuinely move one down from Whitehall and move one up from councils and, and merge it a little bit, rather than creating this whole new structure? That's where the power has come from. Um, let's create a function that works rather than create a whole new big um, uh, monolith. Mm. Um, but then you know, there will be a conversation, in, no doubt, in the aftermath of a, a new thing about whether the other things all fit. And, and you know, we'll have to agree on something or inevitably it won't, it won't happen. Um, policing. So it's a really interesting point. We had this conversation with government. Um, what does it mean for police and fire as well and other emergency services? I'm always confused as to why police and fire have direct political accountability and the ambulance service, for example, doesn't, um, even though we've got real challenges with our ambulance service in the same way. So we had that emergency services conversation. The answer was effectively that if you want to bring policing into this, you need to consider merging police forces 
Now, that was a much more complicated operational question than we four leaders could answer in a, a four-week um, time frame in, in doing the deal. So what we've effectively said is, look, we want to look at that. I think there's every strategic reason to draw in things like policing around community safety, around youth services, around a lot of the stuff the Police and Crime Commissioner does um, into that bigger picture, into that strategy. But that's a piece of work we're going to have to do over a longer period because obviously thousands of police officers, structures, operational matters that we'd have to consider in all of that. So I'm hoping police and crime commissioners will be part of that conversation in, in that first term. Akash, I think you're going to get the final word. OK, yeah, thanks. Um, so, I mean, there's been various questions I could pick up on. I mean, on the, on, on, on the point you were making um, about the nature of the devolution model, the conversation we've been having, does rest on this, I suppose, conceptual framework that, yeah, these are powers held centrally that it may deign to give away. And I, and I know people in, you know, in local government and communities hear that kind of language, and, and, and in a way it does sound um, maybe, maybe patronising. I suppose the way we would look at it is we work within a, a particular constitutional framework, which means that parliament is sovereign. These are powers held centrally. Um, and within the world that we live in, if, power, if England is to become more decentralised, as we strongly think it should be, and it is becoming so, um, places do have to work within, within that framework and, and show that they're you know, ready to take on those powers and, can, and have the vision and can build up the capacity to, to make a, a, a success of it. Maybe you know, we would rather live in a, a different kind of... Uh, constitutional system, but 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 that is that is the reality of it. But I think that I think the question, as as Sarah puts it, is the right one. Like, what can we do to ensure we don't have this constant cycle of new governments coming in, or even new ministers coming in and reinventing the wheel and and chopping and changing regional policy initiatives, and so, and 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 therefore it's it's certainly positive to see a degree of cross-party consensus that we do have, I think, with, with Labour. Um, I mean, I think the other, th the other reason to be a bit more optimistic that this is a set of institutions that will endure is the mayoral leadership, actually, because where, we, where it's taken root in a lot of these big city regions, the mayors are high-profile champions for their place. They're recognised by voters. Um, I do think it would be a lot harder and very and, and, and unwise for a future government to to really seek to turn back that clock. But yeah, ultimately Westminster can do what it wants. We we know that legally speaking. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Akash, and thank you to all of our panel. I hope you'll uh, just join me in thanking them now in the usual way. We will have a video and a sound recording of this event on, our web, on the RFG website uh, within the next 24 hours. So if you would like to listen to it all again, you may do so or recommend it to your friends. Can I just finish by saying thank you once again to the University of Nottingham uh, and to the uh, Institute of, I have to get it right, of Policy and Engagement, um, not just for uh, hosting this event for us today, but also for your partnership throughout this event. It's been really fantastic. So thank you so much. Um, and thank you to everyone for coming.